This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Well, uh, for those of you that are guests, we are kind of in the middle of a little series. We did a kind of a three-part series. Two weeks ago, uh, we talked a little bit about Trump. You know, not that Trump. We talked about playing Trump cards in this next year. There are certain priorities that trump other decisions. And if you weren't here, uh, it's, it, perhaps it's worth it. Just get on the website go check it out. But that was all about personal decision making. Last week we began talking about corporate decision making. We, uh, we talked a little bit about Rube Goldberg machines. We, we showed you a little video. And uh, that got a lot of buzz. It's a lot of fun to watch these things with all the activity and all this stuff. But basically it's a complicated way to do something simple. And we brought that up because so often I'm afraid church can look just like a Rube Goldberg machine. Lots of busyness, lots of activity, lots of things going on, and yet you're not really sure what the purpose is. And there's only one way that we, as Crossroads, will ever make sure. We're not, we can't be smug about this. It's happened to people smarter than us, churches more solid than us, that they lose their way, and before you know it, it's just a bunch of activity, and they're not sure why they're there. If that's not going to happen to us, it'll be because we are intentional. Attention. Intentional about stopping regularly and reminding each other why we are even here. And so we said that Jesus was clear about his mission, that he came to seek and save that which was lost. He sent the disciples out and he trained them. And when he left, he made it clear that the mission of the church was to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, continue to do and teach what Jesus began. The book of Acts makes it clear. You know, Luke, when he wrote the, the, his gospel, is this is what, happened, what began to happen. This is how things started. And the book of Acts begins, and this is how Jesus continued the work. Well, how can you continue the work if you're ascended in, in heaven? It's because he worked through his church. Jesus' commandment to us about as being the church is very clear. Why don't you look at it with me in Matthew 28. If uh, you don't have a Bible, there's a blue hardcover Bible there, or we'll project it for you. Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. Jesus, we read this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything. I have commanded you. Last week we, we rehearsed again. When, when, when he talks about baptizing them, it's not just this dip in water. In that culture and in ours, when a person was baptized, they were actually identified publicly with his message and with his people. He says, go and give people the message that I died for them. Give it to them in such a way that they respond in faith. And we'll see that when they want to follow in baptism. I'm one of those. I've changed my mind. Jesus is my Savior. I'm with you guys. I'm part of this now. That's what that baptizing them, making them a part of God's people. And then teaching them. I was raised in churches, or I was trained in churches where the teaching was solid. 
But the attitude was that sort of like, well, we're going to teach you more information today. What you do with it is up to you. That is not what Jesus said. What he said is, teach them to obey. That doesn't mean just tell them, you should obey. Show them. Walk it with them. Do this together. You know, at every encounter, this is a review from last week, at every encounter that Jesus had with everyone, from the woman at the well to the tax collector at his table, everybody he met, he met on equal ground. He treated them like they were valued, even though they were unique. We learn from that. And we know that everyone that you and I meet, they are already on a spiritual journey, just like us. A different place on that journey, but they're on a journey too. When we meet them, you and I know that where they and we meet is a crossroads. A place for a potential and change in direction. A chance to make a decision. To decide to go differently. To walk with different people. To head toward a different destination. When we talk about what it means for us as crossroads, in this place, in this community, at our time, when we talk about what it looks like for us to go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching them, this is how it comes out. Our mission summed up is simply this, to help people on their journey toward knowing and following Jesus. We believe that is what Jesus commanded. We've just put it into our context. Because you see, we like helping people. We're not really good at directing people, ordering people. But the best we can hope to do is help people. But we're happy to help them. Help them what? Help them on, let's be clear, their journey, not ours. We show respect. Toward what? You want another Savior. If, once you know him like I do, you'll never want to go back. You, I, I want you to know him and then to follow him. That is what we're about. Now, as a church, we organize ourselves. The, the whole idea, I, I love the comment. We're talking to people and I say, well, I'm not really into, I don't like church, I'm not really into organized religion. How do you feel about disorganized religion? <laughs> I mean, that's not what you're getting at, is it? Yeah, I don't think so. We have to organize ourselves. And so we organize ourselves around four values that we think capture that mission. And that's what we're reviewing last week and this week. Is it review for some of you? I hope so. I hope you recognize this. Because it's got to be right on the tip of our tongue all the time. If we are to do what God sent us to do. So last week we began. Those four values are simple. Gather. Connect. Grow. And bless. So last week we talked a little bit about gathering. And as a review, simply when we gather, and for the most part, almost everything we do sort of starts when we gather. Now, do people show up for the very first time at a men's Bible study, at a ladies' event, at a, at a life group? They do, they do. But by and large, this is, seems to be where things start. This is where people come and check us out. We're going to talk in our in our family meeting after, and, and by the way, you We've announced that, we'll announce that more, it's really important. But we've had, we've, we've,
we've had at least one visitor every week of this year. There's always somebody visiting, checking it out. We know it starts here. When we gather, our purpose is clear. We want to exalt the Lord in worship. And I think the team, and you guys, you guys sing so well. I, I, and I kept trying to encourage each other to, uh, to I, I got teared up and was like, it's just to be with you and to sing and to worship. We want to exalt God together. But that's not all. When we gather together, we also try to be edified by God's Word. There's only one way to know what God wants for us, and that's through His Word. It's written here. And so every Sunday, plus all the other midweek meetings, we open this. We search it to know God's will. We gather to exalt God and to edify, be edified by the Word. But after we gather, something has to happen. Connect. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that um, being connected to other people is important to people today? <laughs> Virtually every piece of technology, if it's, if it's raging, popular, being used, it's, it's social media. It's to help people connect. Now, we can argue about the quality of the connection. Okay? <laughs> we, we can talk about that. But can I just, I just again, it's just a little check here. As someone who was alive before the computers all started, <laughs> I just want to say to those of you who can't imagine that world, I want to tell you that I don't let old people do this to you, okay? Interaction back then was just as dysfunctional as now. <laughs> you can be functional face-to-face -face just like you can be functional over the Internet. Okay, dysfunctional. Okay, it's... So don't, but every, almost everything we do today is about connecting. Connecting is so important to people today. Connecting was at the core of God's church from the very beginning. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts. It's page 1079 if you're using one of the borrowed Bibles. Acts chapter 2. This is a familiar passage to the, for those of you that know Jesus. By the way, if you're here today and you've not trusted Christ as your Savior, you wandered in, you're kind of interested in this thing, Jesus is kind of compelling, but you're not there yet, we're so glad you're here, and thanks for being here, and, and, and you're welcome. This isn't a closed group. Some of us were there not long ago. Some of these folks were there a year ago, two years ago. So you just listen in. But for those of you that are followers of Jesus, these words should be familiar you know what that means. This is very dangerous. Because when things become familiar to us, we become inoculated to them. Let's read it with new eyes, starting in verse 40. You know the scene? It's Pentecost. The Spirit of God has dropped. All these people are trying to figure out what is going on. And Peter's been preaching away. And in verse 40 it says, And with many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Verse 41. And those who accepted his message were, oh, look at that, baptized. About 3,000. Huh. That'd be Sunday in church, huh? We had one guest every week. Yeah, well, we had 3,000 last week. What? Honestly, I mean, when we get smug, like, oh, that'd be so neat. Really? You're ready for that? I wonder sometimes if God doesn't send 3,000 because he says, I don't know, ready. 
But if you want to go ahead and get ready, I can send three thousand. I've done it. About three thousand in number were added to their number that day. Verse forty-two. Now listen to how they are described. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Honestly, if this church was in town, I'd be going there today. <laughs> Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you love to drop into a place where that's happening? Can you feel the energy? Can you feel the power? Just like crowds, you just you'd be caught up in it. Who wouldn't want to go to a church like that? What made that church like that? It was not the pastor. It was the people. It was the they. Look through that passage again. They devoted themselves. Everyone was filled with awe. All believers were together. They sold their property. Every day they continued to meet together. They broke bread in their homes. It was them. It was you and me. They're the ones that made the church like that. So let's have a little talk about, you know, when you go out to the car and then you start to whine and complain about church today. <laughs> Guess what? It's your fault. <laughs> it's not mine. <laughs> that never happens. <clears throat> How important is connected? It's not important. It's core. You can't be God's people without con connecting with one another. What if something happened today? What if there's... What if something happened today that changed the next 40 years of your life? Think about dates recently, whether it's the World Trade Center or like a Boston bombing or a, or a diagnosis. Or, but I want you to imagine that something happened today and you realize that, oh my goodness, nothing's ever going to be the same. And because it affects your, wor your world so powerfully, it also affects the rest of your family. It even pours out into your neighborhood. All of your neighbors know. Everybody at work knows. They all kind of are, are they're, they're all, every, everyone in our community knows. It makes papers. It makes news reporting. Everyone in the state. What if the entire nation? What if you caught foreign newscasts and they were talking about what happened to you? You were there, you experienced it. Can you imagine something that viral? Before the internet? That's what this church did. I can prove it. It started in Palestine. And here we are. In Montgomery County. How did it get here? Them. 
They couldn't stop themselves. Loving on each other, meeting together. And of course, it's obvious that they all like each other. <laughs> I don't know that we have a racial barrier in our world, in our country, that even comes close to the barrier, the social barrier between Jews and Gentiles. And there were a couple of little bumps, but for the most part, they blew right through that. So listening to a pastor who pastors a multi-ethnic church in New York City. He said, I'm not talking about different races. I'm talking about Hutus and others and, and basically two believers in a church, but your parents killed my parents. He says, you haven't seen church till you see these people put their arms around each other and sing God's praises together. They'll look at each other and say, that ends here. Because they are no longer my family. This is my family. The thing that made the difference is the people that were there. We could all hum the Cheers logo, right? Everyone knows your name. We share things. In fact, you know what? I can see right through you. Deep in your heart, you're kind of hoping that would happen. And yet, because of the insecurities and because of the focus on you, you won't do that for someone else. Wait. Of course you won't. Of course you won't. Because that's the kind of church we want to be a part of. That was the church that Jesus founded. Stop with whatever else. Why are you here? Just to say, how are you? Let me love on you. What do you need? How can I help? What? I didn't know that. <laughs> hey, guys, did you know this? And, and we rally around. Around here, we say it simply this way. We can't fix everything, but nobody goes through something alone. Unless they want to. How important is connected to you? Now, some of you are going to hear and say, oh, here we go, you know, listen, I've heard these kind of speeches before, it's really compelling, but I'm not doing that again. And see, you just proved the point about how important connecting is. You had a bad experience connecting with someone. They violated a boundary. They hurt you. They disappointed you. They failed you. And that hurt is so deep, you're never, ever, you swear off community for the rest of your life. That's how important community is. It's funny, though, because you don't do that with other things. I'm sure all of us have had at least one bad experience with food. <laughs> oh, that didn't really, you know, really good. That didn't, that didn't work for me. But yeah, I, you know what? I bet you still eat. You say, well, Mike, that's not, it's not even the same. Because you need food to live. And here's the rub. Somehow, in this country, amongst evangelical churches, we have gotten the idea that we can get by in our Christian lives without connecting with other Christians. We've been told it's optional. An added plus if you want. And so if it's time, we can take a break from community. Oh, just taking a break. Just getting a little time. Taking a break. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit doesn't do that? Oh, hey, you? Yeah, you know what? And look, I'm going to take a little break from watching all of you. you know, just a little break. Jesus says, Grace? <coughs> Normally, yes, but you know what? I'm just going to take a little break. But you're on your own, buddy, today. I'll check back in, but a little bit. Aren't you glad God doesn't take a break from you? Believe me, he's been tempted. 
Hebrews 10, page 1191, or show it up right up here. See, in our world, everyone wants to be a part of community where everyone knows your name. You know the difference with biblical community is that everyone knows Jesus' name. And because of that, you're valuable even if I don't like you. You're valuable even if you irritate me. I'm, I'm not going to say any names, even though it would be really funny. <laughs> you know why we're nice? Let's be clear about this. Let's just be honest. We're not nice because we're nice people. We are not nice because we're nice people. We're nice because we want to be like Jesus. That's all. You know, we can't do it all the time. You do something thoughtful, and they say, well, that was so thoughtful of you. And you almost want to go, actually, not really. But that's the way Jesus treats me. <coughs> Except it sounds kind of trite, right? It sounds self-deprecating. But actually, that's what we want to say. Thanks so much. Uh, actually, I didn't even want to call you back. <laughs> but Jesus made me. <laughs> Hebrews 10, verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. When we connect, we have some values that we try to describe what happens here. They go like this. We value authentic relationships built on biblical values, on grace and respect. Many of you have been hurt because someone didn't value or respect the boundaries that were appropriate in your life. Many of us, any of us, could violate boundaries again. We understand that. But because we follow Jesus, we try to focus on authentic relationships, biblical values, grace, and respect. For us, connecting means valuing a growing commitment to God and to others in their growth. You cannot say, I want to grow more in my spiritual life and fooling with you all. You can't get there without them. And guess what? You can't help someone else grow if you're not growing. Third, we value always making room in our lives for new relationships. This is a bigger problem than you might realize. Especially for a church of our size. You know, it's just big enough to kind of do a lot of neat things, but you still can kind of sort of know all the names. Did you know that there's kind of a, 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 an invisible psychological barrier to the next step where we have to go as a church? There's this invisible barrier that, that we will just, we don't think it out loud, but all of a sudden we sort of stop asking people to come. Why? Well, it feels full. It's good. No big emergency. We're not going to fold up. Things are going. It's really nice. I like it. This. Oh, my goodness. You know, if, the, if we were burning to the ground, if we were in desperate straits, you'd be. But see, we're comfy. Value and connecting means I'm always going to make room in my life. I'm always going to make room in my life group. 
I'm always going to make room in my accountability group. I'm always going to make room in my class. I'm always going to make room in every place in my life for somebody new. I might like them and I might not. That's what it means to connect. Gather, connect. We're going to touch on grow before we go. Grow. When you think about spiritual growth, what do you think of? I, I, I was raised to think about, like, um, first of all, knowing the books of the Bible in order. That was a big step. And then, and then knowing the, knowing Old Testament and what it meant, and knowing like, and it was all about knowledge, all about content, and and I needed content. Did you know that there are at least 127 direct commands in the New Testament for believers? At least 127 things that you and I are supposed to do. You know what the problem with all those commands are? It's hard to get them on one PowerPoint slide. <laughs> like a point on six font, you know? Sometimes more is less. For us, when we start talking about growing, if we boil it down, you know what we land with? Look at first, uh, Second Peter chapter 2. You know this passage perhaps. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. What does it mean to grow up in our salvation? Obeying 127 rules and commands? Getting out theological texts and just kind of working your way through. It's overwhelming. It stops us dead. When we think about making it simple, making it measurable, attainable, you know where we've landed? In 2 Thessalonians. Turn there. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. In verse 3 we read this. Paul writing to the church, he says, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing. If we had to boil it down to one thing, when we talk about growing here at Crossroads, we're talking about growing your faith. Faith is a foundation of everything else that will come later, and you never outgrow faith. We define faith like this. Faith is believing that God is who He says He is, and that He will do what he says he will do. Now, when you're in a Bible study, when you're in a life group, you're studying God's Word together, and you learn more of what God said He is like. And the challenge is to believe that that's true. And when you read about more of His promises to us, what He promised to do in our lives, then the challenge is to believe it and act on it. Believing that He will do what He says He will do. This kind of belief is, is different from the way we usually use the word. If I said to you, do you believe in Abraham Lincoln? You would say yes. But if I said, do you believe in your spouse? Suddenly the definition of belief changes. See, there's this use, this is belief like a, a mental assent. Yep, they exist. Then there's a belief that says, I trust in them. That's the word. That's the concept when we talk about growing in faith. I told you last week that we'd hit on these, and so this is what we're going to do before we go. There are five things that will grow faith in our experience. Five things. Here we go. You ready? 
say um, it was uh, Dr. Howard Hendricks, right? I've shared this with you, sitting in his classes. I took every class I could from him. Dynamics of Bible study, dynamics of discipleship. He used the dynamic, the word dynamic, dynamic in every course that he taught. And it wasn't, it was appropriate. But I remember him challenging us about what makes faith grow. And he says, if you boil it down, there'll be five things. If you flip over your notes, and, and I think one time when we did this, I actually had a whiteboard up here and I drew. We don't have time. I've already eaten up our whole time. But if you flip over those notes, you're going to see a couple of lines. That's sort of what a life map looks like. We used to make life maps in, in, in seminary. In fact, I'm... I'm going to encourage life groups to actually eventually use a, a life map. And so what you do on there is, see, this is where I got saved. Now some of you, the distance from beginning to end is like two years. And some of you is like five decades. You need bigger paper. But we would take a certain color pen and we would start to mark. Good, happy times, sad times. Happy times, sad times. We would put little notes, well this was... That was graduation. Happy, right after graduation when I find out I had to go back. Sad. <laughs> and whatever. And you mark these ups and downs, emotional ups and downs. Relationships, ups and downs. And then take another color pen. Spiritually, when was I growing and when was I declining? And something powerful happens when you make a chart like that and you start processing it through. I remember sitting there with mine and a guy looked next to me, he goes next to me, he goes, what happened there? <laughs> I hadn't annotated it. I looked, I said, oh, that, and the minute before I could even say it, I realized, God really changed my direction right there. Now, if we were to work through a life map, we would discover these five things. And we're going to cover this quickly before we go. Because you need to understand that even though we have four values, gather, connect, grow, bless, they're not all equal, actually. There's even a flow to this. The gathering is, is pretty kind of wide, and we welcome people who don't know, and uh, people who don't believe yet. And, and in this process, we hope we lead them to faith, and then we direct them into some relationships where we can begin to help them grow. But all of that is moving towards something. It's right here to grow. And at a point in this grow process, we start blessing. So what, what grows our faith? Five faith catalysts. One is practical teaching. Practical teaching. Um, maybe some of you sat in church or sat in some meeting before you got saved. You ever ask yourself, what were they saying? I've got friends who didn't silence their phone. I've got friends who, who, who would say about perhaps Catholicism. You know, I sat there for 20 years and uh, I never heard any of this. All they heard was, you know, like Charlie... Charlie's, you know, teacher, all along, all But sometimes you're exposed to teaching and you go, all of a sudden it's getting through. I hear this. Wow, this is life-changing. That's the way Jesus taught. In Matthew 7, when it talks about his teaching and the reaction that he got, he's teaching and the guy, the, the, those listening look at each other and they say, who is this guy? Because his teaching is different. It's like he has authority. It gets through. We all know that being exposed to God's Word in a clear way is key to us growing. Practical teaching. 
I hope we provide that every Sunday. I hope it happens in our classes. I hope it happens in the men's groups and women's groups and life groups. I hope it happens in our children's ministry. It, it, I know it does. Secondly, there's a second thing that makes faith grow, and that's personal disciplines. You see, the problem with practical teaching is people are tempted to just sit and soak. Give me more. Give me more. Give me more. Throw in a Greek word. Ooh, ah, yeah, give me more. I remember there was a man in the church where I was, and he was, I, you could just see him. Something wasn't right, but he'd always come up to me, mention the most obscure detail in my sermon, and then try to talk about the language behind that. I remember saying, do you even know the biblical languages? Well, I mean, blah, blah, blah. It, just, it made him feel so smart to have that conversation. I wanted to say I didn't. Why don't you just try obeying the simple stuff? Private disciplines. You see, somewhere along the way, as we listen, we have to also do. James says that doesn't... It's not enough to just hear it. We've got to do it. But what I notice in new believers especially is they come and they listen or whatever and they go, oh, we should pray and we should fellowship and we open the Bible. I don't know where to start. Oh, that's good. But, and then all of a sudden it happens. You're listening to them, you talk to them and they go, well, I was praying and... Wait, what? Wait. Well, yeah, I mean, I was, so I was praying and, and I, I was praying, praying about this. When? In church? Well, no, I mean, back home and... You were praying on your own. Uh, they've already made the step to follow through. Now this is embarrassing because new believers just assume when I'm learning it, I'm going to do it. They haven't learned from you yet that it's okay to just simply nod your head and listen, but don't do it. <laughs> and just so you know, I'm not beating you up. I signed up for a YouTube reading plan, a new version of reading plan. I did. I met well. I'm like 12 days behind. So I'm not yelling at just you. And yet we don't grow unless we add to the practical teaching private disciplines. In Matthew 6, Jesus referred to that when he talked about praying, for instance. But praying isn't the only secret or, or private discipline. Sometimes it's reading and studying. Sometimes it's praying or even fasting. Sometimes it's memorizing scripture or sharing the gospel. Sometimes it's giving. We give because we want to, we want to grow in our faith, not earn God's pleasure. Third, practical teaching, personal disciplines. The third one is, or private disciplines, uh, personal ministry. Personal ministry. Now, if you were to take out your life map, and you start plotting some of the high spots and your spiritual growth, I'm going to guess that one of the most emotionally stressful times will coincide with one of the biggest spiritual highs. And it will be the first time you try to teach or do ministry. Heart attack city. I remember I was in junior high. Hey, Mike, why don't you do that one? I mean, I was still looking for books of the Bible. And yet, there is something about us taking on the responsibility of trying to serve others. What do you need? What do you, what, what, what do you mean you need a, an assistant teacher occasionally down there? I've never done that. Because you want to minister to somebody. 
What, what do you mean facilitate a conversation about life group? I'm, I'm, I'm petrified. I don't know how to do that. Since when does that stop me? Okay? Seriously. And, and the minute you try, and you know what? You look at somebody's life map, you know, that, so when I did this, that, so when I did that. Some of you know this. By the way, um, there was a study done several years ago about people who were mature in their spiritual lives. And guess what? They didn't need to be discipled anymore. They didn't need all these kind of all these other things. But you know, there was one thing that kept mature believers thriving in their spiritual life. And it was if they were pouring their lives into somebody else. And if they weren't, they were on their way out of the church. Disgruntled, disillusioned, dry, and broken. Personal ministry. Finding a place to serve somebody else. That's why we keep pushing ministry around here. It's not because we want to fill slots. We have slots. But it's so much more important for you to find a place to serve and to know you're making a difference. Now, there's those three things we can control. Sitting under good teaching. Following up with private disciplines. Being involved with some kind of personal ministry. There's two things that we can't control, but they do make a big impact on our spiritual lives. And I realize what the time is, so we're going to move fast. The fourth one is providential relationships. Somebody in your life made a difference. You might say that that happened early in your spiritual life. Maybe at a point, certain times when somebody came in Somebody who had a huge influence for whatever reason in your life. You can't make these people show up. I've tried. You can pray for them and hope for them and watch, watch for them. These are people like, well, there was this group of guys at work that had this study. Or we bumped into this couple and we started meeting together. Or my friend invited me to start doing And somebody who was in the right place at just the right time. These are the kind of people who in them we either hear God through them or we see God in them. We either hear God through them or we see God in them. They make the biggest difference. The last point, the last thing that promotes growth, and that's pivotal circumstances. You can't make these things happen. Often we don't want to. They're often not pleasant. If you were to do your life map, you might notice that there is a correlation. I know correlation does not mean causation, but there's a correlation. Some of the lowest times emotionally prompt the greatest times spiritually. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers in our comfort and joy, and he screams in our pain. That is why some of you, after going through pain, would say, you know, as hard as it was, I'm not sure I would change anything. And we think, okay, that's mental. I messed up. No, because Jesus showed up in a way that I couldn't imagine. The problem is how we respond to that. What makes those difficult times good or bad? Two things. Our worldview. Is God in control or not? And, and did he forget about me yet? Am I in free fall, or does he have a plan? And secondly, who goes through it with us? Which takes us all the way back to connect, doesn't it? We've got to go, and, and so I just want to underscore the values that are related to growing here at Crossroads. 
We believe and we're looking for, we value faith in God that brings confidence and peace. It's one thing to say, well, I believe in God. We're hoping that increasingly, because you believe in God, there's greater confidence and peace. You don't arrive. Nobody arrives. But there's greater confidence and peace. One of you told me just a few weeks ago about a difficult time, and you said, man, a few years ago I would not have been acting like this. You meant it almost kind of saying, you know, boy, what an idiot I was. All I heard was, what a person you're becoming. We value here dependence on God that makes people strong through difficulties. We're not looking to create Stoics. Hey, no big deal. No big deal. I'll use my left hand. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, you know. We're not looking for that. What it means is when things really are difficult, still you can be stronger. You know people like this. You've seen them and you marvel and you're like, how, how do you do this? I know God's got a plan. I, I just, I'm just waiting for Him. Those are the people you want to be like. Third, we value being aware of God's ongoing work in us. He's actually changing me. I should be screaming and yelling by now. But I'm not right now. And lastly, this kind of growth shows up in prayer. Prayer as an expression of growing faith. I used to pray out of duty. Oh, oh yeah, we should have prayed. Oh, should have prayed. <clears throat> when you grow, if you've been around spiritually mature people, you know what they say? Why? We can pray about this. Let's pray about this. When you catch yourself and you're here listening to something and you go, oh. and your next thought is, oh Lord, that's what growth does. Now, we've got to wrap this up, and so let's try to land it, even though uh, we should have landed a long time ago. But here's the point, because we're not going to come back to this for a while. We're here for a purpose. We're not here to play church. Church looks nice. I don't have anything wrong with playing church. But we're on a mission with Jesus. We're here to worship Him and to learn from His Word, to make connections that make a difference in my life and yours, to grow in our faith, to where I believe what God says, and then to take opportunities, we'll talk about blessed later in the year, to take every opportunity to say to others, come and see. How can I help? Can I pray with you? I, I love to do that when I'm talking to somebody and they don't know what I do and they're telling me about something difficult, but I see how, I know this is a little weird, but could you mind, can I pray with you about that real quick? And they're holding me in the changes. Oh, yes. God is on mission with us. If you think this is grand, this is fine with you, great. You're no help, but great. We get the idea that somehow we hope everybody likes, we, we hope everybody, you know, I hope this is good. You know what they say, good's the enemy of great. This is not nearly good enough. Not nearly enough people, what, one person a week? What is wrong with you guys? There should be dozens a week. What's up with that? What do you mean you can still fit in one service? That's ridiculous. Why? 
because we're on the mission with Jesus. So we gather and grow and bless. Are you one of those people? Yes. Are you one of those that makes crossroads something that will go viral and reach people that we never could have imagined? Father God, with our hearts and souls, we are so thankful for your word, thankful for your grace, thankful for your mercy in our lives. We're thankful that you entrusted to us a ministry, a mission. We're thankful for the way you've blessed, and we're thankful for the opportunities we've had, but God, can we say this? It is not nearly enough. Your name deserves much, much more. We're surrounded by pagans. The, the, the fields are ripe. So teach us what it means to be faithful, to be the church that you intended us to be. We ask it in your matchless and holy name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.